While your day is winding down, they're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day, from local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard, to listen, and where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. Welcome back to South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus. 508-996-0500 is how you can get on the program, uh, where you can also take app chat messages. But we're joined here by Ben Burke of the Publix Radio, which is uh, Providence's NPR. Hey, Ben, how are you? Hey, Marcus. I'm pretty good. So um, you have a story out. It's uh, Where can people find it? Thepublixradio.org. You can also listen at uh, 89.3 FM. So, uh, so Ben, you... Um, you wrote this story on uh, the basically the, the the potential future of the state pier in New Bedford, and how certain decisions about certain transactional uh, certain transactional decisions might be uh, made out of the public view. Um, so I'll let you actually take the reins. Sure. So. State Pier is currently managed by the Massachusetts Department of Conservation and Recreation, DCR. They're the state agency that runs parks and like ice skating rinks and yeah. things like that. Um, the history of how they ended up with a very large wharf in America's most lucrative fishing port is long. And I don't I, I don't care to repeat it on the air sure. right now, but uh, a lot of people in New Bedford for a long time have felt that. DCR shouldn't be the agency managing the pier. And so over the course of years, uh, it took to Mark Montigny and Bill Strauss and potentially a few other yeah. legislators um, got a bill passed that would, or at least got an amendment to some bill passed that would allow the state to basically transfer who's operating the pier away from the Department of Conservation and Recreation. Sure. And so there's this development agency in Massachusetts called Mass Development. Um, that was a little obvious. Um, yeah. But yeah, so Mass Development basically started they're, they're asking a, for proposals from private developers to say, hey, do you want to come take over this pier, do something new with it? You can lease it from us for up to 35 years at a time and hopefully just get something new and fresh happening. Yeah. Yeah. And mass development for people who don't know is a quasi quasi public uh, organization. Um, so they're basically they're essentially like an NGO, but the governor um, gets to appoint or uh, remove um, you know the head of mass development, and I think has a lot of uh, authority over over the decisions they make. Yeah, it also has impacts on the transparency of the organization. Right. So let's talk about that a little bit. There's uh, there's an R so there are RFPs being put in and RFPs are requests for proposals. It's supposed to be a very public process to determine um, who has the best bid to make certain purchases or get certain government contracts. Uh, and there's a few bids that are currently out that um, they're seeking. Right. And but one of them in particular seems to be seems to have been done um clandestinely well state legislators in new bedford are under the impression that yeah a bid has been picked behind closed doors they haven't been notified they're yeah. not really sure why it was picked 
Right. And, you know, but I, I just want to, I have to clarify the official word from mass development is that they're still evaluating proposals, plural, and sure. they haven't picked one. Yeah, right. So, uh, in this, the, the letter was, I think, the entire New Bedford delegation, right? Markey, Strauss, Cabral, uh, Schmid, um, and Chris Hendricks, actually, uh, is, they're the ones that sounded the alarm, basically, to Governor Baker on this issue. So... What you spoke with, obviously, Mark Montigny, who's the Massachusetts senator. Uh, I mean, the Massachusetts state senator who represents New Bedford and a lot of the South Coast. And you spoke with Bill Strauss, who represents here in Fairhaven, but also is chairman of the Transportation Committee, a very powerful committee in the House. Now, uh, Strauss, I think, lays the blame squarely on the city government. Well, Strauss is upset that City Hall seems to have been invited to meetings with mass development, and yeah. he hasn't. Right. Same goes for Montigny. Same goes for all the other state legislators in New Bedford. They feel shut out of the process. Yeah. So um, we're speaking with uh, Ben Burke of uh, Publix uh, Radio, the uh, the Providence's uh, NPR. We're actually taking your calls to at 508-996-0500 if you want to get on the program. Good evening. Uh, hello. Uh, I thought it was a really interesting story. Uh, always appreciate your work. Uh, I'm, I'm curious. So how much how much is this fight about distrust between the different political actors uh, versus like actual legitimate disagreement about what should happen with the peer versus uh, sort of just kind of like political point scoring or folks that have kind of long-standing disagreements with each other right so i i could see them kind of just you know maybe not disagreeing that much but just not really trusting each other or i could see them like actually disagreeing or i could see them just kind of playing politics how, how do you see that breaking down yeah it, it, it's really hard to say but it's a great question fundamentally i think everybody involved in this spat wants um more activity on the pier and to a certain extent like they don't have a direct say like it's not like john mitchell gets to say like you know steve silverstein gets a restaurant here sure. and uh you get a restaurant here and, and you know like these are private developers who are putting together these proposals hopefully on their own although there's been some accusations that maybe there's some cross talk here but um yeah, at the end of the day, it was my impression that the competing visions that these state legislators and the mayor might have aren't so different from one another. It was really a fight about control. And, you know, maybe maybe a, it was a bit about respect, too. Yeah, you know, yeah. A, a, getting uh, a seat Marcus, at the table. My, my, my real question that, you know, the people really want to know is why does the ferry cost more from New Bedford than it does from Woods Hole? But I'm not sure anyone will find the answer to that one. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I can start by just saying the ferry out of Woods Hole is a is a, it's a public agency that runs that yeah. ferry, and it's subsidized, basically. Actually, let me let me pull that back. But it, it, it's run by the government. I, I think there's a good chance it's subsidized. And the yeah. uh, ferry out of New Bedford is, is it's a for-profit business that runs that. And um so the Steamship Authority used to have a ferry in New Bedford. Um, I think it left from down near where Cisco was. Is that right? I, I didn't grow up in the area. I'm not familiar with it. I've always I've always remembered the uh, you know Sea Streak uh, ferry. Honestly, I, that could be the case. Yeah, New, New Bedford lost um, a, a slow ferry that the Steamship Authority, the one that operates in Woods Hole, uh, 
used to operate out in the Bedford. They lost it. C Street came in about I mean, a little more than a decade ago. Right. Hey, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. So, um, so actually, it, and the 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 company that's apparently alleged to have been, um, apparently alleged to have been uh, part of uh, this maybe secret transaction is Crowley Maritime. My understanding. Yeah, Crowley's part of the development team that's got the bid that's allegedly favored by mass development right now. And we spoke about the the caller spoke about ferry service. Uh there's potential potentially um the ferry service could be limited. This is really why I started researching this story. Yeah. So this all this whole spat kind of became public on October 11th um, when all the state reps in New Bedford wrote a letter to the governor saying, hey, 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 like, are, are you aware that mass development is potentially going to hand over the state pier to a private developer who's going to get rid of the ferry, right? Yeah. That was a huge deal to me, a huge surprise. And I, as soon as I started checking it out, though, pretty much everyone I talked to was saying, well, I mean, there's probably room for the ferry to stay. Yeah. But no promises have been made from this development team that wants the pier. And so I, I don't I don't think at the end of the day the ferry is truly at risk right now. Yeah. I think the future is uncertain, but people are pretty hopeful it's going to be able to stick around. It seems like, you know, as much of a rift as there is between City Hall and the state delegation right now, both groups absolutely want the ferry to stay in New Bedford. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think so. I was talking to a member of the delegation earlier, and and they had told me, basically, um, you know, there'll never be a new Bedford without ferry service. But if someone's taking it over, they can, I think, make the decisions on whether or not, uh, on whether or not um, that happens. I can, yeah, let me offer a little bit of clarification there. There's nothing in the request for proposals that Mass Development put together that requires the tenant to hold on to the ferry long term. At the end of the day, like whoever is picked, ha you know, has some kind of proposal where um, they may indicate they want to keep the ferry on in the proposal. I imagine that's going to be kind of like a a provision they have to include if they really want to win this bid. But um, the at the end of the day, it's this private developer who takes over the lease who's going to have authority to lease space to the ferry or not. And we don't know how long those lease terms will be. Yeah. We don't know if C Street will ultimately find them favorable. But again, right. everybody's pretty hopeful it's going to work out because those ferries are very valuable to downtown New Bedford. So we're speaking with Ben Burke. Uh, he works at uh, the Publix Radio, which is Providence NPR. Uh, he has an, uh, a column on the publixradio.org that you can check out on the story. Um, can I hold you uh, past this uh, break, Ben? Sure. All right, great. To the show, I'm here with Ben Burke of Publix Radio, 508-996-0500. Good evening. Yes, good evening there, Marcus. Hey, all, what's up? Oh, not much. Uh, I want to weigh in on this uh, subject of that uh, uh, boat terminal downtown New Bedford. Sure. The State Pier. Okay. Yes, yeah, State Pier. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. That facility is identical to the facility down in Woods Hole where the Woods Hole bolts pull in. So with that said, Marcus, a page out of your book, 
it would be fair to say, and let the record reflect without prejudice, if you had a more uh, vessel that carries cars and trucks, we'd definitely be able to pull into that dock and load up with cars and trucks and go to the vineyard. Right. And maybe Nantucket as well. Yeah, no, I think so. I agree. Yeah. I, I don't know Without if the- any doubt. Because uh, I know this because I used to go to the vineyard. And how did I go there? Wood Hall. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So the thing is, uh, I know what I'm talking about because I've seen the docking uh, situation in the Bedford at State here. And I have a photographic memory of the one in Woods Hole. It's basically identical. And let the record reflect without prejudice. I am giving you the truth. Oh, I know you are. I appreciate that. Thank you. uh, You're more than welcome, my friend. And uh, please keep up the good work. Appreciate it. Thank you, Al. Oops. Is he a lawyer? Uh, <laughs> yeah, whoops, you're, uh, like, I put on the wrong mic. Yeah, I was asking if he's a lawyer or something like that, because, yeah, the, the I, record... I'm not sure, yeah. You know what? Uh, I, uh, I practiced law for seven years, and, uh, I, ne- I haven't said that. I never got the opportunity to say that, so I might go back to the courthouse so I could say... Yeah, get in there, Marcus. Your Honor, let That's the... a good line. <laughs> let the record reflect without prejudice. Um, so, uh... So we're speaking with Ben Burke of Public Radio. He has a story in public uh, on the publicsradio.org. And um, we were talking about, uh, it's essentially about um, the New, uh, New Bedford State Pier, which uh, a lot of you know is the state pier that's at the bottom of Union Street in New Bedford's downtown. You can see it straight ahead at the bottom of Union Street. And, um, you know, I think Mon- Mon- uh, Senator Montigny says in your, in your column, it's been sort of a, uh unmitigated... A mess, right? And uh, you know, Senator Montigny had passed some uh, language. He put it in the um, he put language and passed it through conference committee and all of that to make it a mixed use. Uh, I know, I know, I know. Rip Strauss has had some issues with the mixed use, um, uh, the mixed use language that's that was written and passed into law. But uh, now there's, you know, just to recap for people who might be tuning in, now there's an issue essentially of uh, there's RFPs out, requests for proposals, it's supposed to be a public bidding process, but um, the basically entirety of the New Bedford delegation feels as though that this process uh, for bidding might not be as public and some people are laying the blame on uh, Mayor Mitchell's office. Well, I think <clears throat> they may be laying the blame on, on mass development for not inviting them to a, a meeting where a proposal was allegedly... Okay. I, I don't know if it was picked exactly, but it, sure. something was expressed that this was the proposal that these bureaucrats wanted to go with. And um, so that's not to say that the state legislators aren't upset with John Mitchell as well. Yeah. Um, but I think, I, I, I think it was ultimately mass developments call on who they're going to invite and who they're not. And they invited John Mitchell and they didn't invite the state legislators. Sure. Yeah. I, I certainly think, um, it certainly seemed like, uh, Rep Strauss was upset with mayor Mitchell, uh, just based on, 
are the comments he made. No. Really? <laughs> Just based on his commentary. So we were talking a little bit off air about, um, you know, the, the sort of burgeoning offshore wind industry. Um, and, and, you know, uh, it's. I had Mayor Mitchell on yesterday. He was just in England. He came back from England. He was the only uh, American um, person there pitching offshore wind, talking about why New Bedford is the ideal destination for offshore wind. But, um, you know, what are some of the thoughts and observations you've had uh, on the growth or the, the potential growth of this industry here? Mm. Yeah, well, I'm really interested right now in competitions over space on the yeah. waterfront between these two industries. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think that's, I, I think that's it, especially if it's going to, you know, especially if they're doing mixed use, I know that there's, you know, beyond the state PR too, though. I mean, right. This kind of back and forth over how much space does offshore wind get in New Bedford is, is happening on several big parts of the waterfront. Yeah, between um, you know the fisher the the fishing industry, which is obviously a you know one billion dollar industry here, uh, or is it no? It's a multi billion dollar industry here. Um, maybe it's, is it seven billion? Let me, let me get on my calculator. Yeah, I think it's seven billion dollars. I think it's a seven billion dollar industry here. Uh, I think sixty seven hundred jobs, but I think. It's well, hold on, I think another fish just sold a sold a stop and shop. You might have to add a little <laughs> yeah. to that total, right? Um, but it is, you know, it's it's a longstanding, uh, prosperous industry. That's I think, uh, you know, an anchor of the, in a lot of ways, the anchor of the local economy. Even though probably not enough money goes to, um, back into the community that it operates out of. But um, yeah, there seems to be some tension between the offshore wind industry and maybe some longstanding industries that have been here. Uh, for quite a while. Yeah, I mean, have you paid attention at all to what's happening up at North Terminal in New Bedford? No, explain. So Roy Enixon, the um, owner of Eastern Fisheries, uh, oh man, I hope I got that right. Yeah. Roy, Roy Enixon, he owns like the biggest scallop fleet in America. And yeah. um, he's got a spot he leases on the waterfront where he ties up some of his boats. There's a sign out front that says Marine Hydraulics. Right now, it's um, it's like kind of like a rocky shore up there. It's not very deep water, and the city of New Bedford wants to build like a brand new, shiny, deep water dock where you can pull up fishing boats and bigger boats too. And so, right now, Roy Enixon's got a lease for that space, and the city of New Bedford's basically saying like, "Hey, like we're doing a project here. You can try and get a lease when we're done, but like this is right. that's it." And um. Roy Enixon sued the city over it. And it's this open question of whether or not that space in the end, that new dock that's getting built up there is um, going to go to the offshore wind industry or if it's going to go to the fishing industry. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I didn't follow that story. So do you, how long is, do you know the terms of his lease? Like how long that is? It's a long one. I mean, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I right. don't have the document in front of me, but it, it, yeah. I think it's a very undervalued lease and... It's a long-term lease, and I think he'd basically get to keep it, but he'd basically be losing water access if they build, like, a big dock between him and the water. So, effectively, it would be um, right. worthless to him at that point. Yeah, right. Well, ex so the, the space that he's leasing would be, yeah, that makes sense. So, I think we actually have, uh, Senator Montigny told me he was going to call in. I think we actually have him on the line. Hey, Senator. Hey, how's it going? 
Well, it's not that I promised to call in. I just wanted to avoid having to go on with you on another Friday night tomorrow. <laughs> so I figured this might get me out of the obligation on Friday. Sure. Although I did enjoy my time with you guys and Scott Lang last Friday, I must say. That was that was enjoyable. Yeah, of course. So I, I wanted to just clarify one thing. First of all, one thing lost in a lot of this discussion and not through the fault of either reporter, Ben, I thought the article was, was really well done, particularly when you're dealing with uh, rumors and <laughs> sources and, uh, and other things that make it difficult to pin, uh, to pin down the facts. But one thing no one should lose sight of, this is the state pier in New Bedford. It is not a private asset yet. Um, it actually won't ever be a private asset other than with a long-term uh, lease arrangement. And it is not a city asset, and it never will be. It is the state pier in New Bedford. So although there is no question, as long as politicians live, <laughs> there will be rivalries. And I cannot speak for the relationships uh, within the delegation. I think it's very clear some of them are uh, very strong, uh, generally, and some afraid. Uh, not really all that important to me, but what is important to me, um, and I mentioned this to you, Ben, the other day when we spoke, almost all of the language regarding state peer that is law was written by me and passed through the Senate, and in most cases was conferenceable before it was signed by the governor. So what does that mean? It means that if I sound somewhat protective and proprietary, I am. I'm elected in a district, and when I deliver work for that district, I'm protective to make sure that it comes to fruition. Now, many times work is shared. You work together with a House member. You work together with the governor. You work together as a delegation. In the case of the state peer, and that's the $25 million bonding, that's the mixed-use language, that's most of the work on the IRFP, that's the designation of mass development, almost all of that has the Senate through my pen was conferenced because it was not in the House and was signed by the governor. It's law. It isn't a pipe dream. We all are famous for talking about filing bills and sending out press releases. What we should do is clarify it when it's actually law. So this is law. And by the way, the city many years ago was resistant to my mixed-use vision on the state pier. That has now changed. The mayor and the majority of the city council clearly have been supportive in, in, in the last few years of this concept. And most of the private interests on the pier also are comfortable with it. I think initially there was resistance because if you have a good deal and it's working, why change it? The fishing industry is a good example of this. As, as we've tried to um, diversify the economic development on the pier, there's always going to be some resistance. We have the most lucrative fishing port in the country. I, I remember thinking back prior to my election when I worked for the Chamber of Commerce and people would say, oh, this place is beautiful. It could be another Newport. And I, you know, I would smirk and go, do you understand that we make more money in our waterfront in a month than the Newport tourist industry does in a year? I mean, this is, you know, a sacred golden goose that needs to be protected. However, what has changed in the last perhaps 10 or 15 years, and I'm thinking back to a Standard Times reporter many years ago called me, and I thought it was going to be an adversarial phone call because anytime you mention mixed use or development of any interest on the waterfront other than fishing, historically, 
there would be an uproar. I can remember the first time a hotel was ever proposed down there. Immediate resistance. That has changed. And I can remember the reporter when she called because she was calling about this, this original mixed-use language that I was, that I was uh, crafting just before it became law. And she talked to Jim Kendall, one of the interests that protected the fishing industry. And she said, Mark, I was surprised that there is a uh, general support for your work on diversifying the waterfront. And there was two reasons why. One, they trust me. I grew up here and I spent a lot of time on, on the waterfront. But two, they also understand the symbiotic relationship that you can't get enough money for the fendering and the dredging and the work unless all of the interests align. And that's where wind uh, also comes in and freight and ferry service, mixed use, even including retail. If you put it all together and you end up with the highest and best use, not only for the state pier, but generally for private and public assets down there, you have a much better shot at getting in, uh, increased federal and state money. So all the, if, if, if you think about the delegation, and, and by the way, the five House members, we're all part of a delegation, but you have the House side and the Senate side. Oh, what a, what a humble you, brag. What a humble brag. Oh, but I'm the <laughs> senator. <laughs> no, no, no. That's not what I mean. I was, no, not, what I mean is we don't always agree. We're part of the whole, you know, we're, 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 we're individuals within the whole, but we don't always agree, particularly between the branches. In this case, though, this is what's ironic and why I think it's, it's telling and perhaps why Ben was very interested in the story. We have not always agreed on the state pier. Most of the mixed-use work has actually been resisted by at least one member of the delegation. And you mentioned this. It's clear. It's Bill Strauss. So he and I yeah. have not agreed on this. They, the five members of the House delegation, wrote a letter to the governor specifically supporting my language in the economic development bill, calling for more transparency. I did not ask them to do it. In fact, I was surprised they did it. Usually, House members do not waste their energy or their political capital supporting a Senate initiative that's conferenceable and it's before a conference committee, right? It's right. my job to deliver that. So I found it ironic, and I think at the end of the day, even if we disagree on some of the details, the one thing we all agree on is that it ought to be the highest and best use and create the most jobs in New Bedford. It ought to remain a state asset controlled by the state through its proxy mass development. And it ought to be a very transparent bidding process where no one bidder is favored by any of those that will choose or any stakeholders. I've maintained the integrity in the bidding process. I have not met with anybody on the state pier, even though I've generated almost all of the language and the bonding. So you'd think they'd say, let's meet, and we would. No, not when you're in the middle of an RFP process. I, I refuse to do that. Mass development, although, as Ben said, they may have a choice on who they invite to meetings, that's actually not true. Mass development is a creation of the legislature. The RFP process was created through the legislative process. So, yes, I suppose they can hold meetings, but they do so at their own peril, and we are now engaged in that peril. So you're suggesting it might be legally improper? No, I'm not suggesting it. I think that you, in order to keep the process um, and ensure the integrity, both in the letter and the spirit, I just think that you have an arm's length process and you keep it transparent. I'm not accusing anybody of anything. And one thing you also know, 
um, I think both of you, Ben may maybe less so because he's not from the area. Um, oh, oh man. <laughs> no, no, no. What, no, no, just kidding. Go on. Go on. Go on. It's two zingers. That's I'm the senator. They're the reps, and, and Ben's not from here. Inappropriately, inappropriately <laughs> made inference here. That's not how I meant it. What I mean is that you, Marcus, are aware that if, if I'm nothing else, I'm um, pretty much unfiltered. And yeah, I don't start rumors and I don't drop times. I'm not saying I won't go off the record very sparingly with reporters. Generally speaking, I say exactly how I feel and then backpedal and apologize <laughs> if I put my foot in my mouth. Sure. But I, I, I have not engaged in any of the rumor mongering around this. All I've engaged in is the work to get it done. But even, and remember, it was I, when I wrote the legislation, chose mass development. There were other options. I chose mass development, not because I think they're without flaws, but I think they have the ability to handle this kind of um, extensive, massive capital project. So I, I think I have a right as the proxy for the taxpayers of Greater New Bedford to expect transparency from mass development. Absolutely. And now they're paying that price. It will get straightened out because that's how things work once the noise starts. Uh, Senator Mark Montigny, uh, I actually got to take this break. Is there anything else that you'd uh, you'd like to add? I do appreciate you calling in. No, I, I appreciate the show, and I'll continue to listen. And again, I appreciate the story and the attention to the matter. This is one of the most important projects in the development of New Bedford. And I'll just close with this: when we came up with the vision over a decade ago, it was three parts. It's actually almost two decades ago. The first was to build the Star Store. Uh, and bring the College of Visual Performing Arts downtown and then create this uh, arts and cultural renaissance, which, of course, is, has turned out even better than those of us that were most optimistic predicted. Sure. But when I did when I did the staff store legislation, it was never monolithic. It was never this entity in the middle. And if you build it, they will come. It was connected to an overall arts and cultural project with millions of dollars in earmarks for the Zyterian for AHA, for the museums. Then phase two was to do Route 18, and we provided the money for it, state and, and leveraged federal, to connect the downtown to the waterfront so tourists didn't get uh, run over when they tried to cross uh, what used to be Route 18 and is now, in a sense, a boulevard. Yeah. And then the third phase, which to me is now um, well on its way, was to develop the state pier and the waterfront uh, into mixed use. Uh, um, and this was even before we, you know, had the dreams of, of wind energy. So it's, it's turned out to be more exciting and more than just a vision. I mean, it really is a project that's creating uh, tremendous economic development in New Bedford and job creation. Senator Mark Montigny in New Bedford, I do appreciate you calling in and we'll talk to you soon. I'm, st I'm still going to have you on the hook next week for the Ernestine Thanks, story. Gentlemen. My Friday night is mine tomorrow. That's <laughs> not for my Friday night. Sounds good. All right, so I'm going to take a break, and we'll be right back with Ben Burke. Download the WBSM app and listen to us everywhere. The One's on the left, left, the other on the right. right. Back in the but they're both ready to call it right down the middle. More of Marcus and Chris on South Coast Tonight here on WBSM. 
Hey, welcome back to the show. I'm here with Ben Burke of uh, Providence's NPR, the Publix Radio. He has a story on thepublixradio.org that you can check out. Um, and it's uh, basically on, and you heard from Senator Montigny, it's basically on, uh, you know, local politicians and some disputes over uh, how um, the state pier is going to be handled uh, transactionally and, and otherwise. So, um, Ben, what else is on your mind? <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking about where I'm going to get dinner around here. <laughs> yeah, you you it's tough. Um Frontera's open. Uh I think um that's pretty much where I go after this uh usually if I if I want to get something to eat. So you probably you probably meant to ask a uh, get a more journalistic answer out of me, huh? I was hoping to get something, yeah. Like I've been really thinking about, you know, I've been really thinking about. <laughs> well, something. I think about a lot, Marcus. I mean, I, I cover everything between Fall River <laughs> and New Bedford. So, oh, can you tell us about? I, I like that story that you had about the um, the city planner who had passed away. Oh, Al yeah. Lima. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. I thought it was a nice story. Yeah, Al was a um, a real dreamer. Um, and there's not a ton of those people in Fall River who get their dreams heard at the levels that his were heard at. Um, he is, uh, gosh, I can't remember his age, but he passed away, um, very recently. Yeah. And he had been hired as an urban planner in Fall River in like the 1960s, back when they were tearing Fall River apart. I mean, they were, it was, it's like, it, it would have looked like a, a city in Europe during World War II, they were just like bulldozing hundreds of blocks at a time to make room for interstate highways. And Al was in the planning department at the time. And um, one of the most shocking things that happened in that era was um, the river and Fall River was um, buried in a pipe underneath Interstate 195. And it's still there. And Al, when he grew older, um, made it his mission to free the river it's, it's, such a, it's such a beautiful idea <laughs> yeah and um yeah he, the way he described it to me he had this like epiphany in a parking lot where like you could see the river like shooting out of one pipe very briefly and falling into another and he saw the river and it just blew his mind and he's like i can't believe we did this we got to get this thing out of here and he right. did accomplish something really important so in fall river today there's a two and a half mile bike path that's really beautiful where you can go down basically the center of the river. It's an old railroad bridge and um, it's, it's now a really nice walking and biking trail and it is named after him. And it was his, it was his baby and he got it done essentially, even though he wasn't in government at that point. Right. Um, and his, his next dream was to actually uh, get a little more of the river exposed downtown. And he, unfortunately he passed away before that was finished. It's still pretty cool though. Um, one that there's like a lot of people don't know there's like an actually like operative river that's running under fall river and uh that he was at least managed to accomplish um some part of that uh of that vision that he had uh for the city is it possible to expose the entire river the entire river oh man without some i mean anything's possible mark <laughs> yeah right but i mean I, I i don't think there's any real political willpower for it um and it would be logistically very difficult because the interstate runs right over it what um al wanted to do is he wanted to basically recreate a uh, 
sort of like a simulation of what the waterfalls downtown used to look like. Right. And it would it would be artificial. You know, I, I think he had accepted that the river is never going to come back to its riverbed. The riverbed's been destroyed. Okay. Um, there's no place for it to go. Right. But um, down where the um, Chamber of Commerce is in Fall River on Pocasset Street, across from the old Herald News building, um, that's where he wanted to put his, his viewing area for this waterfall. Because uh, another thing I was... An expert at explaining was the was the beauty of uh, of of how the river looked when it fell through that massive hill that downtown Fall River is built on. Yeah, it was a series of eight cascading waterfalls, a hundred thirty foot drop. Wow, hundred thirty feet. Hundred thirty feet over the course of eight waterfalls, like a steps down, which is crazy for southern New England. You know, this yeah. is um, this area around New Bedford and Fall River is so flat. Yeah. Right, yeah, you don't get, it doesn't, right, flat, I think, is the perfect way to describe it. You don't get that type of, I think, um, depth until you go a bit further uh, further up north. Yeah, Fall River is like the only big hill on the whole south it's coast. It's a hilly nightmare. <laughs> Just kidding. It is very hilly. Everything is is, is very hilly. There, um, there was a, um, a newspaper editor in Fall River for a long time. I, I, I didn't know him personally. I, I don't want to say his name because I don't think I'm going to get it right. But sure. he was kind of like the venerable old newspaper man. I know exactly uh, what you're talking about. Yeah, something. Yeah. Maybe Sullivan was his last name. And he, he had this great quote, which is, um, Fall River is a city of hills, and we always seem to be going up them. <laughs> yeah. I, I drove an ice cream truck, actually, in Fall River. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. When I was... <laughs> When I was twenty, when I was twenty-one, uh, I was just looking for for beer money at the time. But I drove a city. I, I drove an ice cream truck around Fall River, and that ice cream truck was about forty years old and had no pow- power steering. Oh, so it was. Oh, it was. Yeah, it was quite. A, it was quite an adventure. And it, we used to. I used to go actually up the um, up the Seven Hills uh, in Fall uh, in Fall River as well. And I'd be checking the brakes on that thing like every day. It was incredibly dangerous, honestly. It's a miracle that I'm still alive. There was no seatbelts. Ice cream man, dead at 22. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, I wouldn't be here today. Um, so, Ben Burke, Publix Radio. Uh, I got to take this break. That's basically going to finish this out for the hour, but you can go to publixradio.com. Dot uh, org, dot org. Dot, dot org, sorry. Publixradio.org. The Publixradio.org. Sorry, pub- Marcus. I, I got to get that right. The Publix. I know. I appreciate that. The Publixradio.org to check out his story. He's got a few great stories. I'm, we talked about the, the huge story that you broke during the sheriff's race. And um, and uh, appreciate the work you do. And we'll look forward to having more conversations going forward. Thanks, Marcus. Absolutely. So I'm going to take this break and then we'll pretty much finish out the hour here. 508-996. Actually, don't call in. We only got about 30 seconds left. I'll be here tomorrow. I'll be here with Chris McCarthy. That was Ben Burke of the Publix Radio. A great story. Uh, pub, the the publicsradio.org. You can check it out. Um, uh, I think it, it presents a, a pretty kind of unique uh, inside baseball uh, look at, at how some, some members of our uh, local elected uh, tribe have... Uh, differing uh differing opinions on stuff so go check that out um i'll be back with chris tomorrow uh thanks for tuning in thanks for calling in thanks for your messages see you then